God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. It's a great morning. We don't care what it's doing outside. Amen. It is good to see everybody here this morning on a rather damp Sunday morning. Uh, not a whole lot in the way of announcements. The six-man quartet will meet for a short, uh, just short introductory session, I guess, to the Christmas season. Won't be doing any practicing today, just uh, get things organized and see who's here and who's not and who wants to be. Do we have any birthdays this morning? I know we've got one. <laughs> and I've been, instru- I've been instructed not to forget it this time. Yours and Bernice is good. Polly and Bernice. Very good. And my son was yesterday. Day to you, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Anniversaries. Lynn and Gail. Anybody else? Okay. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary, God bless you. Happy anniversary to Let's continue to praise the Lord this morning. We're off to a good start. and uh, So let's turn to number 17. Stand and sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Number 174, open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. please. Father God, Lord, we praise you and thank you because we are so blessed. Lord, I just am so grateful for all that you have done for each of us. Lord, no one, not one person has ever been left out of your grace or your love or your mercy unless we exclude ourselves. Lord, you did everything that was necessary for us to be able to, by faith, receive salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit and to be in your presence forever and ever. Not only in the life to come, but in this life now. Lord, we are grateful that we know that whatever we go through, whatever we challenge we face, we don't ever have to walk alone. We don't ever have to face any challenge alone. You are right there with us. Yes. And we're grateful. Lord, even when we are on our deathbed, even when we take our final breath, you are there with us. Wow, what a loving God. 
Lord, bless this service. Have your way in every heart. Draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name. Our Father. communion hymn this morning is number 248, Blessed Redeemer. This morning will be brought by Brother John Clemick.
From Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Think back to a decision you made recently that did not honor God. Maybe in the moment the choice felt fun, or maybe you didn't know how to say no. Maybe you just felt stuck or tired and you didn't see any alternative. The world encourages us to follow our hearts, but Satan can easily trick us into doing things that don't align with God's will. But with God's help, we can break the cycles that cause us to make poor decisions. What is sin? When Adam and Eve decided to pursue something good apart from God, their decisions allowed evil to enter the world. In scripture, sin is often used to describe actions that miss the target God has asked us to aim for. Living a life centered around loving God and others. While there are actions that dishonor God, small acts of disobedience also pull us away from him. The Apostle James wrote, It is in a sin to know it is a sin to know what the right thing to do is and then not do it. In other words, if you know what God is asking you to do, yet you still decide to disobey him, then you are undermining God's authority in your life. Sin entices us because it is self-gratifying, but it results in eternal separation from God and others. How do we change? While we were still sinners, Jesus came and died for us. His voluntary sacrifice and separation from God led to our reconciliation with him. None of this is because we deserve it, but because God always desired it. God wants to help us change because he knows we cannot overcome sin on our own. So if you don't know Jesus, the first step you can take to overcome sin is to invite him to transform your life. But if you already belong to Jesus, he has given you the grace, strength, and forgiveness you need to live a life that honors him. So when you find yourselves making choices you later regret, here are some practical steps you can take. The more time you spend with God, the more you will want to honor him and do his will, and this makes sin less appealing. Over time, God will transform your mind and change the way you think. We weren't created to go through life alone. We were made to build each other up. The people who surround you will influence the choices you make. We can only change when we allow God to change us. Let us pray. God, we don't want to make poor decisions that don't lead to an abundant life. So please search us and know our hearts. Test our anxious thoughts. Point out anything in us that offends you and lead us along the paths of everlasting life. We want to renew our minds so that we can know what your will is and walk it. Here we are, Lord. We surrender our hearts. We are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a few moments for a little...
private conversation with one-on-one -on -one with God. When Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the upper room to eat the Passover meal, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it, passed it among them, saying, This is my body broken for you. And likewise the cup, when they had eaten, Jesus took it, giving thanks, offered to each of them, saying, This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the remission of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me until I come again. Drink of it, all of you. Let's stand for the doxology. Turn to number 304 for our praise hymn this morning. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus.
be seated. Brother Wayne. It may seem like a coincidence, but uh, God doesn't do coincidences. There was a reason behind the uh, choice of this song two weeks ago and the weather this morning. We all have a lot of storms. Yes, we do. Uh, in Psalms 107, uh, 29, it says, He makes the storm to calm so that the waves are still. He does that for us. Amen. In the dark of the midnight, have I oft hid my face While the storm howls above me And there's no hiding place Mid the crash of the thunder Precious Lord, hear my cry Keep me safe till the storm passes by Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe. Till the storm passes by Many times Satan whispered There is no need to try For there's no end of sorrow And there's no hope by and by 
But I know thou art with me, and tomorrow arise where the storms never darken the skies. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever. From the sky, hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. When the long night has ended and the storms come no more, Let me stand in thy presence on that bright, peaceful shore, in that land where the tempest never comes. Lord, may I dwell with thee when the storm passes by. Till the storm passes over, Till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Thank you. Well, I think the storm's gone now. They just sang it away. Oh, aren't you glad you're in the house of the Lord this morning? I can remember thinking that at times in my life I'd rather be any place besides the house of the Lord. Now I can't think of any place I'd rather be than the house of the Lord. Good morning. Well, we are continuing on here, and we're about to finish out Matthew 27 this morning, talking about the death of Jesus. Well, I guess we won't finish it out, but we'll get close. (laughs) We begin uh, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus 
to drink. The rest said, no, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. So we have this scene where we have talked about all the way back from, uh, you know, the, the scene up, up in the upper room where they had the, uh, the uh, Passover meal, which then became, was changed into what we now call the Lord's Supper, which we just participated in. And then they went out to the garden to pray, and there uh, is, is where uh, the deceiver came. Judas came, brought the soldiers, and de- deceived uh, Christ with a, uh, with a kiss. And then he was arrested and taken and went to kangaroo court. <laughs> He moved around from place to place and was mistreated everywhere he went and ultimately was beaten, spit, mocked. Uh, You know, uh, he went through so much. And finally, ultimately, they decided to crucify him. And now he's hanging on the cross after all this beating, after all of this. They've still been mocking him, even hanging on the cross And now he comes to his last moments. But there's a lot of significance here. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. There are many who say, well, this was a total eclipse of some kind. Well, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. We're not really told that. There is a recorded time in history when there was a... Uh, an eclipse that was during this time frame. But even if it was, some people want to say, well, that's a natural explanation for what's going on. I'm sorry. You time it that way. (laughs) That's supernatural, folks. Even if it's a natural occurrence, it's a supernatural timing and a supernatural event that took place here. If, in fact, it even was the time that that particular uh, uh, darkness took place through that uh, eclipse. We don't know that for sure. But here's the thing. You think about this. As they put him on the cross and stick him up there 
all of a sudden it goes dark. You think you're not going to be thinking something like, "Uh uh-oh, what we just do? (laughs) I mean, in the middle of the day, at noon, it goes dark, completely dark. So dark you couldn't even see your hand in front of you. And these people are like, "Uh, (laughs) something's not right here. (laughs) And then about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's many different thoughts on this, but I think that the main idea here is that God cannot look upon sin. And for the first time ever, Jesus experienced a separation from his father. His father couldn't look on sin, so he turned away. He looked away, and he withdrew himself. For the first time ever, Jesus experienced what it's like to not be in the absolute intimate relation and and presence of God. What is hell about? Hell is about the absence of God as well as torment. You know... We, we go through what we consider hell on earth sometimes, but it's not. You know why? Because we still have God with us. We can still turn to him, and he still gives us grace and strength to get through it. In hell, you can't do that. And anything we face here is nothing compared to what hell's going to be like, folks. Where you're burning in flames continually, and worms are constantly eating on you. Uh, and there's no hope. No help of any kind, no hope, nowhere to turn because you rejected the one who could help you to avoid that already and it's too late. But Jesus, since he was paying the debt for our sin, he had to experience the absence of God's presence. And that's why he cried out here, my God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? It's not that he didn't know that he was going to have to go through this. He did. You know, there are many times when we expect something, but even when it happens, it still takes us by surprise. And it still hurts. I mean, as my mom lay on her deathbed, we knew she was dying. We knew she, we were waiting. But when she took that final breath, it still hurt, folks. It still hurt. So, this is the experience that Jesus is having. He's already been physically abused. Now, spiritually, he is also suffering. He is, at the same time, that he is missing the presence and the intimacy with his father. He is also suffering and feeling all the guilt and all the shame of every sin that ever was, was going on at that time or would ever be. He took every sin of every human being that ever had lived, was living, and ever would live. And he nailed it to the cross for all those who are willing to accept what he did on the cross as worthy 
of our salvation. As the saying that the thing that can cleanse us of our sins is his blood. We have to believe that if we are to enter the gates of heaven. You know, I can remember growing up and every once in a while still hear somebody talking, telling a joke about heaven and, and you know, how you have to do this or that or the other. And as, as Peter meets you at the pearly gates, he tells you you have to do this or that or the other in order to enter in. I'm glad that's just a joke. <laughs> you know, I remember one of the things I heard people say was uh, there was a guy who, you know, he... He was kind of promiscuous in his life. He wasn't really necessarily deserving of heaven. But anyway, he came before Peter at the pearly gates. And he said, oh, wow, I didn't think I'd be here. And Peter says, hold on, you're not here yet. He says, you haven't come through the gate yet. He said, oh, well, what do I have to do? He said, spell Czechoslovakia. (laughs) Yeah, I'm out. (laughs) You know, it it goes on to say that after he said that, some of the people standing there thought that he had called Elijah, the prophet, who was supposed to come prior to the Messiah to introduce the Messiah. That's what the Jewish people who are in their tradition are still waiting for. The Messianic Jews have accepted Christ already as their Messiah. But the more traditional Jews are still waiting, and they're waiting for Elijah. Every year when they have their Passover meal, they set a a place at their table for Elijah. Waiting. A symbol. He's not here yet. We're still waiting. And... So they misunderstood. I'm, I, I, apparently, he spoke a language they weren't familiar with. and They thought he was calling Elijah. Or perhaps his speech was just, you know, not real clear because of all the circumstances. He'd been beat. His lips, his face was swollen. His lips were probably swollen. So it's a possibility that he didn't speak clearly enough where they could understand him. Someone did, or we wouldn't have it, right? (laughs) But they thought he was calling Elijah. And so one of them, it says, he went and got a sponge. Now we're told in another place that Jesus said, I thirst, uh, in another one of the Gospels. They ran and got a sponge and put it on a spear, the tip of a spear, and dipped it in some sour wine, wine mixed with vinegar. And held it up to his lips, and we're told he did take a a sip, a drink. He sucked some moisture out of the sponge to kind of wet his lips and to wet his mouth a little bit. But the other said, no, don't give him a drink. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Let's see if Elijah comes, because... You know, they'd already said, if you are the son of God, come down off the cross and we'll believe you and we'll follow you. Then they heard him say, oh, well, 
he's calling for Elijah. Let's see if Elijah comes and takes him down. Then we'll believe him and then we'll follow him. You know, anything but accept the truth, right? I mean, here you get a letter in the mail from the IRS that says that you underpaid your taxes by $3,000 and you're like, uh-uh, no way. And you've got an appointment to sit down with them so they can show you your mistake. No, uh-uh, no, uh-uh, no way. And then they show it to you and then you're like, uh-uh, no way. <laughs> That's that new math. Let's do it the old math way. <laughs> so these people were unwilling to accept the truth, even though it was right in front of them. The sad thing is, many people today are still that way. They're unwilling, not unable, unwilling to accept the truth, even though it's offered to them time after time after time. You know, there's a saying that says, there's none so blind as those who refuse to see. And that's the case here. They made their mind up that they were not going to believe him. They were not going to accept him. No matter what proof was given, they would find a way to reject it. So after he had taken a drink, Jesus cried out again in a loud voice. And it says he what? He gave up his spirit. So This was his choice, apparently. Somehow in this process, he had the option to stay or to go. He had to stay until the fullness of all of the sin was paid for. And apparently, somehow, he had the knowledge to know when that was. He had suffered enough. He had been there enough. And now, he was finished. It was time. You know, he says later in another place, no one took my life, but I laid down my life. And I took it back. (laughs) Wow. Let's see you do that. (laughs) This is all supernatural, folks. Everything here that's happening is a supernatural event, a supernatural occurrence, and it's about to get even more supernatural as we continue down through here because at the moment that he gave up his spirit, it says, at that moment the curtain of the temple tore in two from top to bottom. This curtain, by the way, was, I think, 75 feet tall, and it was like, I think, four foot thick. So this is not something that you could just tear real easily. They tried to say, oh, the earthquake did it. Really? Then why didn't it tear from the bottom, or why didn't it just fall down instead of tearing? And this curtain was what separated the Holy of Holies from everyone else. Why? Well, in the traditional system that God gave the Jews to start with, 
only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and only one time a year and only after he had confessed all of his sins and bathed in the waters and did everything exactly like God said, only then. And even then, they tied a rope around his ankle and he had to wear a bell. You know why? So that if he fell over dead, they could hear the bell ring and they would know to pick, pull, the, pull the rope that's attached to his ankle and drag his dead body out. Because if you didn't do everything just right, in other words, you don't go into God's presence unless you have been made right. Now, that curtain was torn from top to bottom, and that meant that now everybody has free access to go to the Holy of Holies. Wow, what a privilege. We are all high priests now. We're even higher than the high priests because they could only go once a year. We can go anytime we want. I mean, isn't that awesome? Because we were prepared. We were made ready by the blood of Jesus, by the act that he performed on the cross. That's what that tearing of that curtain represented is that now if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you accept what he did on the cross as being payment made in full on your behalf for your sins that you have, are, and will commit, you are cleansed. You have been prepared and made ready to go into the presence of Almighty God. And Almighty God in His presence moved into your heart. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We are the church. We are the Holy of Holies. Wow. What a blessing, folks. What a blessing. What a blessing. All of this took place the moment that he gave up the spirit. Not only that, but the earth shook. In other words, there was an earthquake. The rocks split and the tombs broke open. <laughs> oh, it was just a coincidence because of the earthquake. Well, let's see. Who timed the earthquake? Um, maybe God? <laughs> and... He controlled the earthquake to be right in that right spot at the right time to open the right tombs. Because we're told that the bodies of many holy people, not unholy people, but the bodies of holy people who had died were raised to life. Now, it says, goes on to say, they didn't come out of the tombs until after Jesus' resurrection. Why? Because Jesus is the first fruit. Jesus is the first one to resurrect from the dead and to leave. After his resurrection, it says, they came out of their tombs and went into Jerusalem, the holy city, and appeared to many people. Now, you know, there is those people to this day who will say, no, Jesus didn't resurrect. That was a lie. They stole the body. His, his disciples stole the body. If you remember now, those two guards that were there were paid off to say that. 
And many people still want to accept that story because it's easier to believe than to accept that Jesus resurrected. He came back to life. His body was reanimated after three days of being dead. Now, if that's not hard enough to accept, here's all of these people who also resurrected and were saw by many. So even if you reject that Jesus resurrected, how do you account for all these others? I mean, come on. (laughs) There's all kinds of supernatural events going on here all at the same time, and it's all around what happened to Jesus, folks. You know what? There's a place on earth where people can go to see supernatural events all the time. You know where that is? It's called church. (laughs) Where Jesus is and where Jesus resides and where Jesus is being worshipped and upheld as the perfect son of God and where he is being honored and where we consider him to be holy and righteous. Guess what? That allows for supernatural things to happen. Let me ask you something. What do you call it when a person who is basically a zombie, a dead person walking around, they're dead in their trespasses and sins, when they become alive again in Christ? I would call that a miracle, wouldn't you? Amen. They were dead. They were resurrected to life in Christ. Made a new creature in Christ. You are a miracle. Every one of you that have been resurrected from the dead of your trespasses and sins into life in Christ, every one of you is a miracle. So don't say miracles don't happen. You are one. (laughs) You is one. Ain't that right, Bob? (laughs) And, you know, when all of this happened... All of the darkness, all of Jesus crying out and, and him choosing to give up his, his spirit. And then all of these other things, the, the earthquake, the tombs opening, the, the, the uh, curtain tearing from top to bottom. The centurion, it says, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified. Why? Because they didn't believe any. They were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. In other words, he's thinking, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, we just messed up bad. That was the son of God and we killed him. Now what? And in the book of Acts, that's kind of the question that they ask. Now what? What do we do? And it says many women were there watching from a distance. Now, this is significant because here's the thing. His disciples, which these women were part of, by the way, but his male disciples, they all ran off. But the women, they stayed there. Why? Because women at that time weren't considered a threat, regardless of what they thought or believed. They couldn't even testify in court. Uh, so they, they could come, they could watch, they could be there. But if the, if the male followers had been there, 
there's a possibility they may have been crucified also. So they ran and hid. But the women were not considered a threat. Now, there is an exception. John came back and stood at the cross. We know that. In another uh, of the Gospels, we're told. But the women were there, many women watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. In other words, they had been with him all the whole time. These women, they had put faith in Jesus as their Messiah, as their Lord. They were dedicated followers. They were willing to do whatever needed to be done to help him accomplish his mission. They were faithful. And they were there with him to the end. And it says among them were Mary Magdalene, whom had the seven demons cast out of her. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. And many say this is the James the Less, they call him. Not the brother of Jesus. And the mother of Zebedee's sons. So, you know... I'm not sure exactly how that worked, but I would say that since Jesus called Zebedee's sons to follow him, that they brought their mother. They brought their mother. And, you know, we often talk about if we get get, uh, parents to come, the children will come. Well, sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes we get the children to come, the parents will follow. That's what happened here. The children were involved. And they brought their mother. It can work both ways. It's been proven time and time again. You know, there's a lot of miraculous things happening here because this is a miraculous person that is being crucified. The Son of God, God himself in the flesh. Just that thought, just that idea alone should be mind-boggling to us. You, you look out into the heavens, and as far as we can possibly get to see with our telescopes, our technology of the day, we can see there's something more further out. There's still more that we don't know about that's out there. And no matter how much technology we get, no matter how far out we can go, there will always be more space, more planets, more universes than we'll ever know this side of heaven. God spoke all of that into existence, folks. Everything. We are on one little bitty micro dot of the heavens. We live on this one little bitty micro dot in the heavens. So we are smaller than a virus compared to all that exists. And yet God became one of us through the person of Jesus Christ. And he died for our sins. He died for you. He died for me. The God who created all of this. He died for us. He died for me. Why? Why would he do that? There's only one answer, folks, and that's love. He loves you. He loves me. 
When you love somebody, don't you want what's best for them? He wanted what's best for us and he gave us the opportunity to have it. All we have to do is reach out and take it. It's a gift. By faith in what Jesus Christ has done, we can have all that God is offering. You know what you, know what you are? You're an heir of the kingdom of God. You're a, a co-heir or a joint heir with Jesus Christ. We now have the same inheritance that Jesus has. He paid for it, but we get it. How's that fair? (laughs) Wow. God gave us the opportunity to have equal share with his son Jesus. Not just in heaven, but right here on earth. The miraculous things that Jesus did when he walked on this planet. The Bible says you will do even more than I did. You will accomplish even more. Why? Because we have more time. (laughs) We have more time than he had. But if we want to see those miraculous things, we have to walk in faith. We have to walk believing Jesus said, whatever, whatsoever you believe, you will receive when you ask. Whatever. Now, does that mean I can ask for a brand new Mercedes Benz to be sitting in my driveway in the morning? No. When he said that, in context, he's saying, according to my will. Whatever you ask, that's in my will. When we're praying for someone else's soul, when we're praying for the betterment of other mankind, when we're praying for the betterment of ourselves, he hears and answers those prayers. And I'm not talking about materialistic betterment. I'm talking about our spiritual growth. There can be spiritual thing, uh, material things that he will grant us also. He knows all of our needs, the Bible says, and he grants that we will have everything we need. But the problem with that is we often want more than he says we need. And then we get upset. Oh, why can't I have that? So-and-so's got it. Sound like a three-year-old. We need to learn, as the Bible says, to be content with such as we have. But, but I want, but I want, but I need, but I need, but I want. You know, that's not just an American problem anymore. It's worldwide now. Everyone is, is self-centered. Everyone wants more than God intended for them to have. Now, there are little villages, I'm told, in Africa where these people literally are dirt poor because they have dirt floors. (laughs) And sometimes they eat bugs and different things. That's part of their regular diet because that's what's available to them. And when an evangelist comes, a missionary comes to share the gospel, they will store food up for two, three, four days more. 
and go without eating so they can feed that evangelist when he comes. They will sit back and watch him eat and give thanks to God that they were able to meet his need. I wonder if we would do that. By the way, many of them walk for two or three days to go to where he's going to speak because they don't have cars. And when they get there, they either sit on something that's very hard and uncomfortable or they stand until they walk back home. It's hard to get people in America to go across the street to go to a church. I guess that what it comes down to is we just saw how much he loves us. How much do we love him back? What are we willing to give him in return for what he's given for us? He gave all. What are we giving? What are we willing to give? He may call on us one day to give our all. Or at least be willing to. You know, I know for a fact there are people who's been called to go to places like there was a missionary who went to a place where they knew the people there ate people. But he went anyway. And he was eaten. Ultimately, he wasn't for a while, but ultimately he was eaten by the people. And then his wife went back and the whole village was converted to Christianity. They gave up eating people. They stopped worshiping the false gods and came to love Jesus. He never promised us that everything was going to be rosy and sunshine and fun and easy. In fact, he said quite the opposite. In many places, he says that we will inherit all these blessings with suffering. With suffering. And he said, those who follow me and obey my commands will be persecuted. Then the question becomes... Are we willing to accept that? Are we willing to go through some suffering for Jesus? He went through some for us. Are we willing to be persecuted for Jesus? He was persecuted for us. So the question is, knowing what Jesus did for us, knowing all that he went through, how are we doing and returning that love that he showed for us. If you have a need this morning, just mind the Lord and come as we sing. Brother Bob. Here's your... Thank you. Our invitation hymn this morning is uh, number 363. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let's stand and sing.
Anything else for us, Brother Mitch? God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.